0: So we are continuing the series that we've started uh, for the summer of of uh, studying our way through the Gospel of Luke, and uh, as you know, again in summer we all have lots of things going on and trips and family reunions and different things. And so through the summer, I said we're studying through the Gospel of Luke. So if you if you miss a Sunday, if you're if you're out of town or whatever it would be, I would encourage you to continue to follow with us as we move through Luke, um, and we are covering two chapters a week. And, and what that said, too, is there's no way that I can cover every story in the Gospel of Luke in two chapters a Sunday. And so, I mean, I guess I could, but we'd be here a lot longer. So, uh, but I, I encourage you to go ahead and read yourself through through uh, the, the chapters we're going to cover for that week. Again, if you missed one, you can still read the stories. Um, and all of the messages are available online on our website, as well as the outlines and the follow-up questions. And so, some of the stories that I don't have time to go into uh, on a Sunday morning, um, are in the discussion questions, okay? There's an entire section out of the chapters this week about the Sabbath that I'm not going to cover at all in the message, and so. but there there are discussion questions about those stories. So I encourage you to go ahead and dive into those yourself uh, throughout the week. We also have two, uh, during the summer, we have two groups, our Sunday school class that meets first hour is going through those questions as well, and so is, uh, again, we have a discussion group meeting during second hour in the cafe as well. So if you want to jump into those, like I said, those are available to, to talk to them with other people. But I just encourage you through the summer as we're all moving around or different activities, uh, you can. You, I encourage you to read on your own and to keep up pace um, as we look through the Gospel of Luke. Um, as we do that, we've, we've seen um, that, again, we have four Gospels in our Bible, and Gospel literally means the story of Jesus, right, and talking about his life and and the things that he taught and, and uh, we have four Gospels in our Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And each each Gospel comes at the story of Jesus from a different angle. They, and and Luke, again, gives us um, the angle coming from one of the writers that was not a disciple. He was not one of the 12 disciples that was with Jesus. Um, but he was a trained physician. And so he comes at these stories, at this studying of Jesus' life from a little different angle. Because as a physician, he's, he he tends to focus on a lot of physical healings. We see a lot of miraculous healings throughout the story um, that Luke provides us. Um, But Luke tells us in these first few verses of the gospel why he decided to write his version of Jesus' life in this story. Um, He tells us in chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, he says, Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus, So you can be certain of the truth of everything that you were taught. Again, he he had heard about Jesus. He was a follower of Jesus, obviously, studied Jesus' life and and said, hey, there's an angle about Jesus that that I want to to confirm, right? There are details of this that I feel like some of these other gospel writers didn't nail. And so he says, so I'm going to write you my version and I'm going to come to it from my perspective. And again, he says his goal, right, is to, to confirm that everything we've heard about Jesus is true, right? That these miracles really happened, that even from the perspective of a physician, he's like, these people were literally physically healed. Like, I can't explain it any more than it was the power of God through Jesus. Right? And so as we study, again, these stories that Luke gives us, we see these, these intricate details that a physician looks at to come to a conclusion. All right, with that said, as we started week one, chapters one and two, and just saw the passion that Luke has for Jesus. And we're challenged then is do we have that same passion? Right? Do we have that passion? And is that passion focused on Jesus or is it focused on other things in our life? So we're challenged to have that same passion to be focused on Jesus. And then last week as we looked, verse three and four, and we looked at the identity that we have as a follower of Jesus. Right, that when we receive Christ our Savior, we join the journey, our identity moves from God's creation to God's child. Right, and that we then go through life and live life and make decisions from the perspective of that I am a son or a daughter of the one true king. And that that is my true identity. Right, and I live that out through everything that I do. And now today we see um, in chapters 5 and 6 that Jesus calls out some specific people to be his disciples. Okay, Jesus um, in his public ministry and time as a rabbi and as a teacher, he took on disciples. He took on 12 men that he literally did life with for three years. They, and they, I mean, they, they, they traveled around with him. They, they heard all of his teachings. They saw all of his miracles. They, they interacted with him. There was lots of times where it was just them with Jesus, right? And they learned all kinds of things. And so Today, we're going to look at um, Jesus calling out and picking which of these 12 guys would he would do life with for the next three years. So we're going to pick up the story today in Luke chapter 5, and we're going to start at verse 1. So if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to open with me to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter own- 5, starting at verse 1, okay, where it says, One day, as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, We worked hard all night and didn't catch a thing, but if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. For he was awestruck by the number of fish that they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James, John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. And Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. As soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. Now, as we see, again, this calling of these first disciples, um. He this this passage is centered on this man named Simon. Okay, and here even in the passage it says Simon Peter. This is the same guy, the same disciple that we studied through the Easter story, right? Peter, um, that we see, right, becomes the guy who Jesus says, "On this rock, I'll build my church." Okay. Now this is focused on Simon, and again, his name is later known as Peter, and we see here this process. Right, that he goes through to follow, to truly be committed and follow Jesus. Right now, again, as we studied on Easter, we studied the end of Jesus' life and the role that Peter played. And here's the very beginning. Okay, this is where Jesus comes to him and we see the story here. Jesus is already, um, you know, just, just started teaching, started doing some miracles. And he already has this very large crowd of people following him around. These people that are just kind of hanging on his every word and, and saying, Oh, what's he gonna do next? and who's he gonna heal? and what's he gonna teach? and and again, he has he's gathered this large crowd already so much to where he he ends up on the on the edge of the sea and says, Well, I can't really teach him from the edge. And so he he literally just invites himself onto Simon's boat and says, Hey, I'm gonna use your boat, right? and Simon's like, All right. Right? And he's like, hey, just take me out a little bit, and then my, my voice will project, and I can teach these people. And Simon's like, Well, all right, like whatever you say, like I guess. And then he he moves them out. Now, um, Simon starts out, right? Again, not ready to follow Jesus. And this morning, I want to walk us through this this process, these stages of commitment that Peter goes through to be able to truly follow Jesus. Right, to get to the end of this story, this passage right, in verse 11, where it says, they again, they dropped their nets, and they followed him. Now, Simon had to go through this process. We start out in verse 3, right, as Jesus invites himself onto this boat, and Simon, um, again, doesn't really know a lot about Jesus. I mean, it doesn't tell us about this, about how much he really knows, but we can infer that probably not a lot. I mean, he's heard these, these rumors about Jesus. Obviously, this rabbi comes out here with these these huge crowd of people following him, there's something going on with this guy, but Simon probably doesn't really know a lot about Jesus, right? But that, and that is the first stage of him working through this process with Jesus to follow him, is that he was curious, right? Is he had a level of curiosity about who Jesus was, and I'm sure as he shows up, he's like, oh, that's that guy. I wonder if, if that, that he's well, a guy that's healing people, doing all these miracles. Again, I'm sure the rumors had spread throughout the area about like, you need to hear about this guy. You got to meet him, right? You got to listen. He teaches differently. He heals people. And Peter was at least curious enough to let him on his boat, right? And to, and to row him out a little ways. And notice it says then that Simon listened to his teaching. And again, he was curious enough to invest at least that time into Jesus. And now, as he heard this teaching of Jesus in the boat, right, as Jesus is teaching this large crowd, Simon hears it, he listens, and then um, we move on to, to this, this next level of, of this process, this next stage, because at the end of the teaching, Jesus looks directly at Simon, right, and says, hey, we're already out here a little ways, let's go a little further, right, and you can drop down your nets. And this then gives us the next stage that we see in this process brought fra- by Peter, and that is pushback and skepticism in verse 5. Because, again, Peter is a professional fisherman. You notice the setup of the story. They have been literally been out all night fishing, and they came up empty. Right, this is a professional, I mean, he knows what he's doing. This is not like a guy with a, you know, a brand new rod from Walmart going out to the pond, like, I wonder how this works. I mean, this is a professional fisherman. Right? And now Jesus tells him, hey, just come out and throw down your nets. And, and again, you can, you can sense it in Peter's response, right? Of like, hey, Jesus, I know you know a lot about God, but uh, let me tell you something about fishing. Okay, we've been out here all night, we've been doing this, and we caught nothing, right? And he, he, was, he was pushing back on Jesus a little bit, right? And he's like, but Jesus, well, fine, if, if you say so, then I'll put down my net. Again, you can tell the sense of his words in this, right? It's like, sure, I'll show you, right? Because, again, this, we've already been working all night, caught nothing. There are no fish here, and this is like the worst time to put down my nets, Right, he um Jesus was asking something of Peter that I made absolutely no sense. Right, and 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 Simon was pushing back on him a little bit. Right? And and he's like, But okay, this doesn't make any sense at all, but fine, I'll humor you, I'll do it. Right? I'll put it down. Okay, yeah, and so he does that. And then when he throws it down, he he again he, I can just imagine the moment that he realizes that there are fish in the net, right? And, and he moves into this to where he, he experiences a small taste of God's love and grace Then in verses 6 and 7. But again, and this, this miraculous catch of fish is a foreshadowing of the gospel message. Okay, this foreshadowing of Jesus looking at Simon and saying, hey, I know you know how to catch fish. You're, you, you figured this out, and yet you can't do it on your own, but if you do it my way, it will turn out completely different. Hey, and, and when we realize this, one is he experiences this blessing of this miraculous catch. I mean, so many fish that it's going to sink two boats. And again, this was not some small little outfit. These were professional fishermen. They had a partnership, right, that are coming. And, and there's enough fish, right, to, to nearly sink two boats, which means these fish were worth a lot of money. Okay, and, and they, they experienced this blessing, this love of Christ, right? As Jesus is showing them, he's like, hey, I know you, you cannot do this on your own, and that's the grace part of this experience. Right, Jesus is showing them, he's like, even when you know what you're doing, right, if you do it my way, it's going to come back abundantly better. Right, and again, a foreshadow of the gospel message of our way of salvation, of saying you cannot do it with your own knowledge. You've got to trust me, right, as the Messiah to do it for you. Right, and you will get a drastically different result than if you try and do it on your own and with your knowledge and with your own effort. And he gets a taste of God's love, his incredible blessing, and of his grace, and of the grace of receiving something that he did not deserve. Because he had worked all night on his own measure and came up empty. But he did not not deserve this miraculous catch. And then we move to the next stage, right, in this process. After he gets a taste of God's love and grace, then he becomes aware of his own depravity. Okay, now this word depravity, this is a theological term, and I want you to write it down. Okay, but what this means, okay, is that that depravity means that we fall short. And so he becomes aware of the fact, right, that, that he cannot accomplish on his own what he needs to accomplish, and that is ultimately to be saved. Right, so he realizes, again, that he is sinful, that he falls short of God's standard and he needs a savior, right? That's the definition of depravity, right? Is I fall short on my own and by my own effort. Okay, notice exactly what he says to Jesus in verse eight, right? He's like, Jesus, get away from me because I am not worthy to be in your presence because you are holy and I am sinful, right? He becomes aware of his own depravity that he needs a savior. Right? and as he becomes aware of that right that he falls short of God's standard right then he also then in verse nine finds a new newfound reverence for Jesus right this is that moment where he starts to realize like you know my life will be different and incredibly better if I follow this man Jesus than if I don't Right? And when it started out as curiosity, and then we moved to pushback, and then we get a little taste of God's love and grace. And then we, we realize, again, the more love and grace we get from God, the more we realize our own state in our sinful life. And then we, we realize that, that Christ is actually what I need. Right? And we have a whole new respect for who God is and for his holy standard and for his plan of redemption that he laid out through Jesus. Right? And we have a newfound Reverence and respect and and awe and and so much that we are called to worship him. Right. And then in verse 10, at the beginning of verse 10, then Jesus gives him the instructions for an entirely new direction of his life. Right? He says, Hey, you have fished for fish. But if you if you follow me, I'm literally gonna change your life so much, you're not gonna fish for fish anymore, you're gonna fish for men. Now, I'm going to give you a whole new direction. Okay, and then we see then in verse 11, we get to the end of this process, these stages of commitment, right, to complete commitment by Simon and by his his bud, his brother and his buddies, right, where they literally, they drop their nets, they leave it all behind, and they follow Jesus. And they have a complete commitment to Jesus and, and saying, you know what, All the things you're saying, they don't make sense. We don't get it, but we trust you, right? And we're going to follow you. We're going to be committed to you. We're going to do it all the way. Now, as we look at this process, these seven steps of this process that we can go through, these these steps can apply to any commitment or change in our life. If they're true for something huge, just like it is for Simon, right, Of, of something huge like following Jesus for the first time, you know, to... Um, to, to taking a step in our journey, I mean, these are huge things, and this process, sometimes we need to go through that process to get to that point of complete commitment. But th- it's, it's also true in other areas of our life, again, not just our commitment to Christ, but any decision or change we make in our life, we have to sometimes go through this same process. Okay? And, and sometimes it's with huge things, sometimes it's with small things. Now, when you think about this, like, okay, how did, what does this process look like in a different context? Okay? Now, as we look at our culture in America, okay, is that um a major problem in our culture in america is is obesity, right is our culture is overweight. And, and again, I know we can all identify with that, and we all know that we all we all know, you know sometimes we're like, yeah, and, and but again, we we go through the same process when we think about losing weight and about how living a more fit lifestyle, right? Like we start out at curiosity, right and and we think about, you know we realize we're like, yeah, I've got, I'm a little curious, like what kind of diets are out there, what kind of fads? what kind of exercise programs and you know, we start to to research it. We, we start Googling stuff, you know, trying to find out how much the gym membership is and, and you know, like what kind of food trying to get. We start researching. And sometimes, you know, our research through our curiosity ends us up at, at finding out some new things, you know, like the food pyramid and, and you know, pizza's close enough, you know. Uh, um, you know, we, we research, we find out these new things. And, and then... Um, through that research, we kind of push back a little bit, right? We're like, "Well, the food pyramid is the same shape as a slice of pizza. That's not a coincidence, right?" Like, I'll just eat pizza instead, right? And we kind of push back, and we, you know, and we we think about, we don't need it. We're skeptics of 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 the stories we hear and and the, the diets, and, and then we kind of even maybe even resolve ourselves, like, it's okay. I'm not that much overweight. I don't have to change, right? We 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 push back, right? And then we decide to move on, and then we get a little taste of success, right? We, we, we commit to a diet, we do it for the first week, and we lose like three or four pounds, and we get so excited, we get a taste of success. Right, and then as we move that, though, we, we very quickly move from that taste of success and losing weight to, to realizing our own depravity. Right, when there's cake. Right, and we realize that we fall short of what we have to do right, in order to really, really make this change in our life. But, but again, we realize that we continue to, we, we get back on, we, we move through, we find a, a, a new reverence again and a new respect for those that have, have actually lost weight and changed their life and realize it's not that easy. We have a whole new respect for it. And then we find some instructions, right, and we get a new direction, right, the 14-day diet that we finish in three hours. Right, and, and, and through all of these failures and through these processes, right, some, some of us end up at the end of the process where we actually make a change in our life, right? And, and we become more fit and we lose weight and, and we make it to that point of where we actually commit to it and we live it out, right? This example that, that Jesus walks Simon through this process becomes an example of so many things in our life, right? And that was the process again that God took took Simon through. Okay, but Simon was one of these disciples. Now there's another disciple and another story here later in chapter 5. And I want to look um, again at the calling of Levi in chapter 5, verses 27 through 31. So picking up in Luke chapter 5, verse 27, where he says, Later, as Jesus left the town, he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up, he left everything and followed him. Later, Levi held a banquet in his home with Jesus as the guest of honor. Many of Levi's fellow tax collectors and other guests also ate with them. But the Pharisees and their teachers of the religious law complained bitterly to Jesus' disciples, why do you eat and drink with such scum? And Jesus answered them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. Now, when we look at this story of the calling of Levi, right, is this is a very different experience that Levi has with Jesus as what Simon did. Yeah, because as we see, again, Simon went through this whole process, these stage of commitment, and yet with, with Levi, there was no process. Right? All Levi needed was an opportunity. He, he didn't have to go through these processes at all. He was ready. Right? And we see again, these were very different experiences with Jesus, and yet they had exactly the same results. Right? Is both of these men ended up following Jesus and becoming one of his disciples. And yet, that, again, Levi was ready. All he needed was an opportunity. Right? As we look at Levi, and, and again, he was completely different than Simon. Okay, there was no process involved with him at all. Just a one-line invitation, and he left it all and left instantly. But right? he was just waiting for an opportunity. He was ready. Right, he was ready to move. He was ready for a change. Right, but again, we see Simon and Levi were very different people. Okay, notice that setting the scene of this invitation, Levi was sitting at a tax booth. He wasn't walking around at his regular beat collecting taxes from people. He was sitting at a table, okay, at a tax collector's booth. He was collecting toll. People were coming to him to pay. Now, this again says right, that, that Levi was not at the bottom rungs of tax collectors. He was in middle management. Okay, Levi had been pretty successful in his career as a tax collector. He was somewhat higher up in the chain of command to use our terms today, is Levi was white-collar and Simon was blue-collar. Okay, they, they were very different people in their, in their careers. Okay, also, again, I'd venture to say that Levi, even though he had been successful in this career, was not satisfied with the life that he had. Although he had found success, it was a very lucrative business. But my guess is that he didn't really like his job. Right, and he was ready for a new opportunity. Again, Peter loved his job, right, as a professional fisherman. He loved it so much, as we fast forward to the end, right, is literally the day after the crucifixion, and Peter's crushed right by him denying it. What does he do? He goes back to fishing. Right? Peter loved his job. Okay, but my guess is that Levi didn't. He was just looking for an opportunity to do something different, even though he was successful and it was lucrative. Okay, Levi also we can see through this story that Levi was wealthy. Again, he had been successful at his job. He was wealthy because he had the means and the knowledge to throw together a banquet for Jesus in a matter of hours. Right, which means he had he was wealthy in their culture. Right, and notice as he throws this banquet. Right, it sets the stage for like this this next opportunity, right, of teaching that Jesus has as, as Levi is labeled as scum. Right by the Pharisees and religious leaders, and Levi again, um, you know, is labeled as scum. All of his buddies were labeled as scum by these religious leaders. And a very interesting thing in this story is that they they direct this question at the disciples, right, of like why would why would your teacher sit with and eat with all of this scum, right? And I can imagine the disciples kind of looking at each other like, like people the, on the first day of the job, right? When you're trying to figure out and some customer comes up and asks you, you're like, I have no idea. This is my first day, right? And these disciples are sitting around. They're like, what are you talking about? Did you really just call him scum? Because Jesus, is, you know, they're probably saying this. And then Jesus is the one that answers the question. And Jesus answers the question, is directed at these these disciples, when he tells them, he says, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. And I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. Again, Jesus is literally probably shaking his finger in the face of these religious leaders, right, and says to them, it's because they, they thought they were righteous, Right, and Jesus is looking at them and saying, and like, you know what, you might think they're scum, but I would rather sit and eat with those scum because they know they need me. Right, and they're willing to follow me and to make changes in their life, right, where you're not. Right, in fact, they even skipped the curiosity. Well, obviously they were there. They were curious in Jesus, right, but they got hung up at the next stage of pushback. Right, and and they were scrutinizing Jesus, and they were pushing back on him, and they never got past that stage. Right? and yet Jesus is telling them, he's like, you know what? It doesn't matter if they're scum, because I want to come to people who are ready to change, who have a, have a desire again to follow me, right, and to, to 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 journey through their faith and to grow and to become and receive my love and grace that I have for them. Jesus was modeling a whole new paradigm of discipleship. The Pharisees practiced discipleship by separation, right? And Jesus was telling them, I will literally do life with anybody that wants to change. Okay, and he stepped into their life, right? And he worked through it. Not a a culture of separation, but a culture of grace. Right? It is not by works, but yet one that they are receiving what they could never do themselves. Levi knew what he needed, and he jumped right in. No questions asked. Complete trust in Jesus and an excitement to change. Now, as we look at these two stories and of Jesus calling out them and saying, hey, I want you to be my disciple on in these invitations, I want to raise this question to you today. Is your spiritual journey more like Simon, or is it more like Levi? Okay, are you the kind of person, again, that's got to work through these stages, work through this process to get to the point of making a change? Or are you more like Levi, about like, Jesus, just tell me what to do, and I'm going to jump right in, and I'm never going to look back. And the truth is, we both have parts of both of them in us. But right? as we think about that idea, right, realize, again, these were very different men with the same invitation, and they both ended up in the with the same destination of their journey and that is Jesus Christ. Right in 1 Corinthians 12, 6, it says God works in different ways, but it's the same God who does that work in all of us. Again, my journey is going to look different than your journey, just like Simon's journey was different than Levi's, right? But they all had the same destination, and that is Jesus Christ. Right, And that journey ends with him in heaven. But again, how we joined that journey was different, very different for these men, just like it's very different for all of us, and yet we end up at the same place. Right, then we see here in chapter 6, Luke 6, 12 through 16, okay, where Luke literally lists out for us all of the men who make the cut. Okay, Luke chapter 6, verse 12, he says, One day soon afterwards, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night. At daybreak, he called together all of his disciples and chose 12 of them to be apostles, and here are their names. Simon, who he named Peter, Andrew, Peter's brother, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. Again, this is the list of the guys that made the cuts. Okay, that Jesus calls out. And invites, again, say, I want you to be my inner 12 that I'm going to do life with through this. Now, again, notice that this section opens by saying that Jesus prayed before making this final decision. Because Jesus did not make this decision on his own. He didn't make it in his his own humanity. He made it through, through advice and guidance from the Heavenly Father. Okay, he prayed over this because there were, there were lots of options. I mean, he had this huge crowd of people following him. Okay, and yet he made this decision, right, um, by the help of the Heavenly Father through prayer. He didn't just pray, sit down, and be like, Lord, please guide me, and then got up and, and, and made road call. Right, he, he literally, he prayed all night is what it says. Right, and then he came out and he, he says, hey, these are the guys that I'm going to invest into with my time. Okay, Jesus saw with Simon and Levi, just along with them, as we look at this list, this was a mixed bag of guys. Okay, these guys came from all kinds of backgrounds, but they were all pursued and picked by Jesus because they were ready to learn and they were ready to change. Right, and as we realize that, again, Jesus told Simon he would make him a fisher of men. Right, and then we see, again, what was the first thing that Levi did? Levi was already fishing for men in the moment he started following Jesus, right, as he got this whole banquet of guys who needed him. Right, and Simon, again, Simon had to go through this process, right, to learn how to fish for men. Levi was already fishing for men before he got started. Right, and and again, we see the process looks different. The journey looks different for all of these different people, different styles, same mission. Right, and later, after Jesus dies and rises again, right, he expands this mission out of these these 12, at that point, 11 guys, right, onto all of us. Okay, the final words that Jesus gives to these men before he ascends to heaven, is recorded in Matthew 28, and it's known as the Great Commission. It says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you, and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Right? And through this great commission, these, as Jesus passes the baton of leadership from him on to these, these apostles, right? Jesus expands the mission to all nations. Right? And with that, again, passes that mission on to each one of us. Right, whether we have to go through a long process to make change or whether we're ready to dive right in, we have a call by Christ right, to, to share his gospel with all nations. Right, no matter where we are on our journey, he's calling us to say, take the next step. Right, whether you're like, more like Simon or more like Levi, he is calling your name and saying, let's get busy because there's a world that needs to be saved, right? And it starts with our own salvation, us joining the journey and reaching that point of full commitment to Christ. And then it's us moving forward in our journey every day and becoming more like Christ tomorrow than we are today, right? And sharing his love, which leads me then to my final thought this morning. And that's this, you are being pursued and picked by Jesus. Whether you need a long process or a one-time invitation, God wants to save you, And he wants to change you. So what is the next step in your journey? Just like for Levi and Simon, their journeys look totally different. And all of our journeys look different too. But ask God, what's the next step? Maybe the next step is receiving him as your Savior. Maybe the next step is rededicating your life. Maybe the next step is just, you know, being committed to a journey class or or whatever. I don't know what your journey looks like. But if you don't know what your next step is, ask Christ and he'll tell you. And then we have to be faithful, just like these disciples were, and take that step. God, we thank you so much, God, that you have called our name. God, that you called us out of our old life, God, to be changed through you. God, we thank you that, Lord, we can be changed, Lord, we can be redeemed, God, we can be saved. And God, I pray, Lord, that whatever's holding us back in our faith, God, we would leave it behind. God, whether it's dropping our nets or leaving our booth or whatever it is, God, we would drop it, leave it behind and be set free and follow you with full commitment. God, as we go this week, as we celebrate with our friends and our family and our community, God, we pray, Lord, that you would help us to shine your light in all we do. God, that we would continue to take the next step in our journey, And God, that you would set us free. God, you would change who we are. God, that we would share you with all nations. We praise you, God. We thank you for calling our name today. Guide us as we go. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.